The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Welcome to episode 73 of The Counter, a podcast run by myself, Charles McDonald. Uh, Chris Corman, who is uh, not here, he's taking a week off and his wife is making him do things around the house. <laughs> he's, like, he's being forced to be a real person this week. Uh, my co-worker, Stephen Ruiz, and filling in for Corman today, we have noted Mac Jones Stan, uh, <laughs> Justin Herbert Hater, Drew Brees Lover, Seth Galina. Drew Brees Defender. <laughs> Drew Brees Defender, even. <laughs> Seth Galina, Pro Football Focus. How you doing, Seth? I'm fantastic. That was a great intro. You really hit on the three things that are important <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Look, quarterbacks, that's, that's kind of all we talk about on the internet these days. And you uh, have a, a sterling track record with... <laughs> <laughs> PF, PFF Seth made three grand predictions last year. One was Justin Herbert can't play. Two, Kirk Cousins was winning MVP. And three was Sam Ellinger was winning the Heisman. That's why we have him on here. <laughs> Tell us what, I'm pretty sure all three of those things were right, though. Are you saying, was I living in a different room? Did I sleep through the whole year? Okay, I think I missed something. Something like that. Uh, but today, I think we're going to do, well, to be honest with you, we don't have a very structured show today, but it's the offseason, so who cares? Uh, we were planning on going over some defensive free agents, uh, and then I think we're going to talk, uh, you know, some of the chatter about Justin Fields and Mac Jones and what's going on with the 21 2021 draft class as far as quarterbacks go because you know we have reached about the end of february and the takes are already nuclear and we still have about two months to go so i think it's good if we just kind of sit down and try to make sense of uh, everything that's going on but i think we can save that for the end of the podcast so let's start off with defensive free agents do you guys have like one defensive free agent in mind that you would you know, suggest that teams go after maybe not someone that breaks the bank, but someone that can be a bargain. Or if it's someone that you have to break the bank for, it's not someone that you regret paying like immediately down the road. I know what Steve is. I know Steve's answer. How do you know my answer? Viking safety. Anthony Harris. <laughs> oh, yeah. Steve's favorite player. PFF all-star Anthony Harris. I dare anyone to like, actually show me why why anthony harris is good without citing his pff grade because i i watched like legit like six games last year when he was a free agent and i was just like looking for some reason to consider this guy a top safety in the league and i just couldn't find it i'm sorry i can't get on board now we'll tell the line here we don't want seth to get in trouble but (laughs) seth what would you have to say as a as a rebuttal that allows you to keep collecting paychecks well, I'm, I, I'm seeing here uh, on the PFF.com uh, 2021 free agency uh, board that he uh, his grade fell tremendously by about 30, 25 points uh, this season from last season. And one of the things when I watched, I didn't watch him in 2020, but I watched him in 2019. And one of the things you kind of notice is, you know, they play a lot of too high defenses. There's what Zimmer does. And so the two safeties are Anthony Harris and uh, uh, Harrison Smith. Harrison Smith. I was going to say the white guy. <laughs> <laughs> so Smith Not is Eric Yeah. Well, it's one. They're all the same. So uh, like Harrison Smith will play more to like the weak side of the formation, and he's more like involved in the game. Mm-hmm. So like he's driving on on routes, he he'll come down and then he'll be like a flat player, he'll be in the box, he'll he'll disguise a lot more, he's on the line of scrimmage and he's coming out, and he's not blitzing stuff like that. And Anthony Harris, you know, in, in these in this world, in this too high world, is like the now there's not not a big difference between field and boundary in the NFL, but he's like the field, the wide side safety, and he's just getting depth. You know, like getting depth, making sure nothing beats him over the top. And nothing really did in those in like 2018 and 2019. So I think that's why the grade is is really high. But it's like a protect. He's 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 like a protected individual there in that defense. He's like the Alex Smith of safeties to me. Like he's going to do the little things right, I guess. But he's not. I don't know. He just doesn't make plays enough for me. And the. I feel like the more you have to watch a safety to like understand why he's good, that like tells you 
maybe he's not a difference maker. Like you could watch Tyron Matthew, you can watch one game of Tyron Matthew, and you're going to see him make like four or five plays. You watch a full season of Anthony Harrison, you might be lucky to see four or five plays. Yeah, it's it's. It, I guess it's kind of like a of a, a comparison between like just like I, or I guess it's something where you think like how much impact can a guy have if he's just kind of sitting back there all the time. And with Harris, I just kind of never quite got the hype. And I, honestly, I feel like this year might have hurt him a little bit in terms of, you know, what he's projecting in free agency. Because I remember last year, like, people were throwing out crazy numbers before he ended up getting the franchise tag from uh, from uh, Minnesota. So, you know, I'm – hold on. Can, can, wait. Can we can we pause this for one second? Yes. <laughs> uh, because there's a dog out in the front yard. <laughs> you gotta go pet the dog. Uh, we're keeping I, I, this in. I, I, I gotta go get him from outside. So uh, if you can just keep talking about Anthony Harris, I'll be back in like two seconds. All right, that's fine with me. Like, and I have a hot take on Justin Simmons. I don't know if you have any Justin Simmons takes, but I feel uh, like zero. Go ahead. Okay. Well, yeah, he's like okay. This is how I I like bucket safeties. There's like the guys that make plays, like Tyron Matthew, Earl Thomas, those type of guys. Then there's like the second tier, which is like guys who are always going to be in the right spot and like clearly aren't bad and they'll make a play if it's in their area, but they're not going to like make anything out of their their range, their play rate uh, making range. And then there's like the bad guys that like the, the liabilities. And I would put Simmons like somewhere in between two and two and three are the first two tiers, the two good ones. But I don't think he's like that that Earl Thomas difference maker. So if you're paying him twenty million dollars a year. Like, why wouldn't you just pay Marcus May $10 million a year to do, like, basically 98% of what you do without the interceptions? Okay, yeah. I'm back. There you go. Uh, I think that that reminds me of, like, what people used to say about – I could be totally wrong about this, but it, people used to say about, like, shortstops and, like, Derek Jeter especially because he, he, got, he got such a big hype, Derek Jeter. I was – you know, he's – fucking Derek Jeter. So he's playing in New York and all that stuff, playing for the Yankees. And it was like, yeah, he makes all the expected plays when the ball is hit near him. But he doesn't, he's not like making Ozzie Smith type of plays where he's mm. just like doing these insane, you know, catches on ground balls and pop flies and stuff like that. So I think that is probably the same thing with safeties. Uh, I don't know enough about Justin Simmons to tell you that he's, you know, in that first group or in the second group, but I would probably imagine he is like you said, probably between those two groups. I think a guy, like I'm going to, my first Saints reference of the day here, but a guy that I like in the safety class is obviously Marcus Williams because mm-hmm. you're not going to get him for that much. You know, you're, you're going to have to pay Anthony Harrison and Justin Simmons a lot more. Um, and, he, and you know, the, the nice thing about Marcus Williams is that they play in, I mean, Justin Simmons too, but they play so many different coverages in New Orleans under Dennis Allen that you get a guy who's, like, been able to do a lot of different things rather than just be a middle-of-the-field player. I mean, I, I, like, I understand football is, is coming out of the one-high era and everyone has to do a bunch of shit, but, you know, for sure the Saints especially do a lot of things on defense. So you're getting a guy who's pretty well-rounded. Yeah, like I would say, this is this would be my take on the safety class. If you're gonna sign Anthony Harris, you might as well just sign Marcus Williams for mm-hmm. cheaper. And if you're gonna sign Justin Simmons, you might as well sign Marcus May. Like I think they're the cheaper options, and they're gonna give you most of of what you're gonna get from those high price guys. Uh, so I now that I'm back, a little disoriented, but uh, <laughs> what happened with the dog? Oh, uh, it's inside. We're all good. Uh. Do we want to move on to maybe some of the front seven guys? Because I think that this year's class, at least at pass rusher, like edge rusher, there's a couple of guys that I think that are going to get some good deals in free agency. But I think the one that intrigues me and obviously a lot of people the most is Carl Lawson from Cincinnati. And I think Carl Lawson, like there's a chance that he ends up not getting like an insanely big deal in free agency. One, because, you know, the injury history is obviously there with him. I think he's missed, uh, you know, he's only, he's only had two seasons where he played uh, 16 games. I think one season he only played like seven games. So obviously like, there's a little bias where beware there and his sack numbers aren't great, but uh, obviously as you know, we all know as more educated football fans and as we continue learning about the game, sacks are Speak not for yourself. Okay. I wasn't, <laughs> I'm not educated at all. <laughs> <laughs> but we know, we know. Chargers made sure to. <laughs> uh, 
but you know, as we know, sacks are not always the best way to measure how good a pass rusher is. I mean, I know that as a Falcons fan watching Vic Beasley in 2016, that was not uh, <laughs> quite a Von Miller level edge rusher as much as I wanted to believe that it was. Uh, and, you know, I, I think we've seen in the past that NFL teams, when it comes to contract negotiations, they still do value sack numbers, as we saw with uh, Jadavion Clowney, kind of his inability to find a team until uh, late training camp. So, you know, I, I'm looking at, at Lawson as a guy who could be a value signing that really ends up becoming like the key for a team's pass rush. And I really just hope that, mainly hope that he gets out of Cincinnati because, God, he's just like wasting away there and i feel like the, your average nfl fan because the Bengals are so bad like promoting their teams like they don't really have a good grasp of how carl good carl lawson is but like if you want someone that can pretty much steadily pick up pressures uh as like maybe like a number two pass rusher then i think that this is a guy you really want to circle in free agency I, I have a take on like free agency in general i feel like defensive ends are like the one position where you're gonna get good value most of the time as long as you're like staying away from the dudes that are like one year wonders that, you know, get 13 sacks and they get signed to like a $20 million deal. But you could like find some veterans who, whether they were released or their contract is expired, that are pretty good. Like Justin Houston was a, a cheap signing for Indianapolis and he's been really good. I don't think you have to overpay for sacks and free agency, which is why like someone like Lawson, I think will end up a good value no matter where he signs. Yeah, I think Lawson for sure is going to end up in good value because you're just not going to pay that much for him. And the, on the other side of the spectrum is like a guy like Shaq Barrett, where obviously the, the sack totals have been amazing, um, obviously since he became a, a Buccaneer. But and the, and the play has been good, but it hasn't been, you know, you know 20 sack in 2019 good. Uh, so I think maybe a team you're going to see overpay for Shaq Barrett, though he is a really good player. Like I'm not saying he's a bad player, but maybe you won't get the value out of him that you might expect to get. Yeah, I feel like the Shaq Barrett deal, whatever comes with that, I feel like it might have a lot of funny money in it because he, because he's kind of hit free agency as like a real deal pass rush a little bit late in his career. We always knew who he was, uh, especially on the rotation, like at those Broncos teams where he's behind. Uh, Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware when they won the Super Bowl in 2015. He was a pretty key part of that defense. But this is the first time he's hitting free agency as, as you know, the dude to have in free agency. He's already 29. So uh, I feel like whatever deal he gets, yeah, if you see like a five-year deal for that, I feel like it's going to be worked out in a little team man- team-friendly manner because just looking at his sack totals, and obviously you have to counter in, you know, percentage of the snaps here. But he goes five and a half. One and a half, four, three, then nineteen and a half, and eight. So, uh, I I don't think he's going to be someone that comes in like resets the edge market, which is why I think he might have a little bit of value for the agency because his age and the fact that he's kind of a late bloomer in terms of his. Uh, so, I guess I guess like standard production that we think of in pass rushers. So I got a hypothetical. You can either have Jadavian Clowney one year twelve million dollars, or you can have Shaq Barrett one year twelve million dollars. Who are you picking? I'm, I'm taking Barrett. Clowney hasn't, Clowney hasn't gotten a sack since 2019. Yeah, it's Barrett, but I still like, man, I still believe in David and Clowney because it's just, he's, he, he's the, the physical aspect of it. Um, he's just never, you know, maybe the injuries and stuff like that. He'll never be that, like, number one overall pick uh, anymore, I, I guess. But I still, I still like watching him play. He's such a mm-hmm. fun player to watch play because it's both in the in the in the pass rush game and then also in the run game, where he's just killing people. Wait, um, wait are you allowed to talk about run defense, or does that get you in trouble? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I have to give them back some of my salary every time <laughs> they, they they track it. Every time you say that run defense matters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the thing with Clowney is like you watch him and you just I'm just like every time I watch him, like, how does this guy not have yeah. 10, 15 sacks a season? Because like he really is that explosive and, and disruptive. But he, it just seems like he hasn't you know, for whatever reason, whether it's injuries, uh, I don't know, finishing ability. It's just never really been a big sack guy. Like he topped out nine and a half sacks in 2017, followed it up with uh, nine sacks in 2018. And since then, he has three sacks total. So. Uh, it, and you know, it's unfortunate that this hasn't really panned out for him, but uh, maybe maybe even Clowney can be a guy that, uh, get, like, 
why would a team have to pay $12 million for Clowney at this point? I guess would be my question. But uh, if you're looking for, you know, just like even a, a second guy with maybe upside to be a one on someday, I guess Clowney could be a guy that you shoot for in the bargain bins because I, I feel like he's about to hit another long uh, free agency spell again. I mean, he didn't sign last year until like halfway through training camp or something like that. So th- this is going to be kind of an interesting year to see how those guys uh, play out a little bit. Now, pardon me if I miss this, but when you guys were uh, talking about safeties, you guys hit on the big Broncos free agent that is about to hit free agency or get the franchise tag. Yeah, we talked about Justin Simmons. Uh, we were both – I don't know. Seth didn't have a take. I He kind of just like went off of my take. But my take is that like he's not he's not great. Like he's not a great player. He's a very good player who's not going to change your defense. Like he's like a guy that's not going to be a weak link for your defense, but he's also not going to turn your de- – make everyone else better in the secondary. Like Earl Thomas could. He's not that type of player. All right. Uh, do we move on to some of the draft stuff? Because I don't really have too much else to say about free agents. I think another guy that's like kind of interesting is KJ Wright because he's kind of in a pickle there where the Seahawks drafted Jordan Brooks last year. And I feel like Jordan Brooks like barely played uh, at all last year. Uh, so like I don't really know what you do with the Seahawks because KJ Wright was pretty damn good last year. And also you have like this unproven first-round pick. So if he is some market, that's someone I'm interested in, like a one- or two-year deal because – he was great last year, but outside of that, I'm not like overly excited about this free agent class. I think you know guys like John Johnson going to get it back, Marcus Williams going to get it back, but uh, in, in terms of you know the top down, I, I don't think it's like all that exciting of a class. If that makes sense? No, it's it's not. It, it doesn't have the, the star power of wide receiver this year, which is just unbelievable from top. To well, I I do think that Watt. Uh, still has he's like the one like superstar player right. now he, maybe he hasn't played like a superstar player in the past few years and obviously injuries and all that stuff have, have played a factor but i do think that there is there's definitely a, a scenario out there where wherever he signs you see an elite player for 10 games and that's probably mm-hmm. enough or, or you know 20 games over two years whatever it is like and I, that that intrigues me a lot because i yeah. think he's even though he's not the superstar that he was, you know, rivaling Aaron Donald as the best, like, you know, defensive lineman in the in the 2010s, still a hell of a good player. So I think whoever gets him and obviously whatever the deal is, it would, you know, I don't know what that's going to be like, but I still think that's really interesting um, because I think he's still got a lot in him, even at 32, which is he's, he's generational to a certain degree. So even at 32, I think there's still a lot of good play in him. What team would you guys like to see J.J. Watt on? Because I love the idea of him popping that three technique next to Miles Garrett in Cleveland and just absolutely wrecking shit. Well, I don't want anything good to happen to Cleveland. So. Oh, that's a <laughs> or, or Buffalo. That? Or Buffalo, which I think is like falls in the same category for me, but it makes sense for him. I want to see – all right, I don't know if Watt's the best – fit but i wouldn't be mad if the bucks let shaq barrett walk and then sign jadavian Clowney. i feel like that makes sense yeah i mean in Bowles, if there's anyone who can figure out how to get clients production back in the right direction i think it's, it's todd Bowles. yeah but i'm gonna say watt ends up in green bay because boring. life is boring yeah, yeah. <laughs> he likes wisconsin and all that crap <laughs> Even, uh, even Pittsburgh would be so boring. I mean, they have a great defense, but that whole team is so boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he's looking to go somewhere where he can win a title, I don't think Pittsburgh is the place to be at all. Because we saw today uh, they released the same that Big Ben's going to be back and they got to work on the salary figure. But come on, we also have Big Ben playing that last year. It doesn't, doesn't matter who's around him right now. Come on. <laughs> no good anymore. Speaking uh, of bad quarterbacks, let's talk about Mac Jones. <laughs> so that's a quarterback one for the uh, 2021 draft well forever There's no not just 2021 <laughs> <laughs> the best quarterback i've ever scouted <laughs> okay well here's the part about the mac jones conversation that actually doesn't treat me because i don't find him you know that interesting as a prospect himself but like if two can go top five is it that crazy to think that an nfl team could pull the trigger on mac jones like top 10 
because obviously, you know, this is I think this is a stronger class at the top in terms of quarterbacks from last year. So I don't see him like going higher than where Tua got drafted. But just the idea of him getting picked really high in the draft, I don't think should be that surprising just based on where Tua went. And like they kind of did the same thing at Alabama. Well, I think the question is, let's say you have the same class as last year and you replace Tua with Mac Jones. Where does he get drafted? Does he still get picked fifth overall? He, well, the, the, for me, the thing is, like, he doesn't, and I don't really understand why, because I don't know what really is the difference between him and Tua. You know, I think they were both, um, you know, both can throw the ball, both made pretty much the same reads. But at the end of the day, I actually think that Mac Jones played the quarterback position better. Now, does, does playing the quarterback position in college no. translate to – the NFL, like playing it well in the NFL, not always. So I understand why why you would still say two is better. But when I, you know, I wrote this article like last week or whatever. Like when you look at the the negative plays with Mac Jones, it's okay. It's an accuracy accuracy mistake. So you know, there's one where he throws like a, a an in breaking route, like a dig route, and it's man coverage, and he just puts it behind the receiver. It's a it's a smart play. He knows where to go with the football. He just puts it behind the receiver, and the cornerback is is trailing him and, and gets the interception. So that's like an accuracy mistake, but he made the right decision. With Tua, when you look at the negative plays, you see like him throwing to the other team like zone defender so whether that's a free safety uh either in the middle of the field or half field or an underneath linebacker or a corner who was sitting there and cover two or something like that that's what you see a lot of well not a lot of because there wasn't so many negative plays but when you compare the two that's the biggest difference for me so the question for you guys is like well which quarterback would you rather have the guy who's making quote-unquote read mistakes or the guy who is mostly accurate but then makes you know a couple accuracy mistakes. Well, I, I would say the difference between Tua and Mac Jones is that Tua at least had like that athleticism thing. And I don't know if he's as good of an athlete as people made him out to be, at least like when he was like a freshman or sophomore at Bama, it like he was billed as like this dual threat guy, which he never was. But I still think he can move more than Mac Jones can, and maybe that's why he was teams were willing to pick him in the top five, whereas Jones is seen as more of a mid-round type of pick. Oh, no. He's going in the first round. He's going eight overall. So no, no, I mean mid-first round. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, mid-first round. Mid uh, yeah, he's, I don't think he's going to be a top-ten pick. I'm, I'm saying that. NFL teams are not going to draft Mac Jones in the top ten. How do you sell that to your fan base? Well, what about a top-eight pick? <laughs> what about the number eight? <laughs> Top eight I, I would be done. I would turn it to the Joker. I would go on like some type of spree committing crimes in NFL cities if that happened. Please right, so, do not let that happen. So why don't we look at Mac Jones the way we looked at Tua last year? Because is, is it because honestly, I I just have this idea that it, it just a lot of with Tua's hype goes back to you know we're talking about five star prospect yep. uh, high school Alabama started for two or three years whatever. And, you know, he, he put up all these numbers, but like we've already talked about, it, it's like if you just go back and watch Alabama 2019, Alabama 2020, like the offense, looks, it looks the same. I mean, they're completely overwhelming the passing game. Uh, lots of RPOs, lots of short throws that, you know, guys like Devonta Smith and uh, Jalen Waddle earlier in the season are just taking to the house. I mean, I don't really see. I guess how you could feel all that differently. And I, I think for me, it kind of makes me go back and revisit the evaluations of Tua more than it really says anything about Mac Jones. Yeah, that's what I would say. That's like, it. it makes you reevaluate Tua. It doesn't, I don't think it boosts Mac Jones. And the one thing I will say is Tua had a longer track record. Like we don't have Mac Jones coming off the bench in the second half of the national championship as a freshman and throwing a game winning touchdown. <sighs> and that stuff matters, even if it shouldn't. I mean, it still matters because that was festering in our mind for three years before Tua got drafted whereas Mac Jones was this guy that came out of nowhere and just was throwing RPO slants to Devontae Smith yeah yeah I, I think that we're, uh, we're all three of us are in agreement that it's not really that we think Mac Jones is is a top 10 player like I think I still have him I, I, I don't dislike him but I still have him as like QB5 in this draft mm-hmm. but it's so it's not really about Mac Jones being a top ten player. It's more about okay, well, wait a minute. Why was Tua an obvious 
uh, top five player. And I think it, and I think it's exactly what you said. Both of you said like, it's the name and the, and the, and the throw. That's really, it's the name and the throw against Georgia um, that really boosted him and has kept him there for, for two seasons, basically. Yeah. I mean, we saw Christian Hackenberg get drafted in the second round. And that, I think it's like the same situation as with Tua. Obviously Tua is a better player, but he was around and in our minds for so long that it made sense. Like we always viewed him as that type of pick. So as long as he didn't completely shit the bed, he was going to be a top five pick. Whereas Mac Jones had one year to prove that he was even a first rounder. And I would, I want to ask Seth this, cause I know you kind of liked Fromm last year. What does Jake Fromm in this, in the 2020 Alabama offense, what does he look like? Where does he end up getting drafted? Uh, yeah, probably he probably goes for sure higher than he went. Would he end up picking for in the fourth fifth, round? Fifth round, I fifth think. round. So like, yeah, I think he probably honestly might go in the first or, or, or second round if they, you know, if Georgia had opened up the offense for him, like Alabama had done has has done really over the maybe since Lane Kiffin got there in what twenty fifteen or twenty fourteen, whatever that year that was. So yeah, I think. Yes, he probably does, but at the same time, you know, Mac Jones is bigger and faster and has a better arm and is even is even more accurate than right. Jake Fromm. So there is like there is that um difference. I also think it's tough. Like I've been saying this for, for a few weeks now. It's like, man, all five of these quarterbacks come from teams like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. Uh, and North Dakota are the bullies of, you know, North Dakota State is the bully of the entire FCS. Mm-hmm. And then the three other teams I mentioned are the bullies of their own conference. And then BYU is basically the bully of their made-up, you know, conference <laughs> this year as an independent. And uh, several, so- and several oppressed groups. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to derail. The no, 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 no. no. I mean, no, very good. I think we should talk about that. That's a podcast for a different day. I think maybe during the summer we can talk about. You know what? Let's let's just keep this moving. I well, you know, going back to what you said about you know Mac Jones and Jake Fromm. I have a question for you, or for either of you guys. What does this say about like the quality of teammates and how they ultimately play a role in? quarterback evaluation because you know i feel like if i drop matt jones into you know whatever last year jake from play at georgia like the 2018 bulldogs offense i don't think he's going anywhere near the first round i think it says a lot i think it's just like impossible to like even and this isn't like a thing against analytics it's not a thing against film guys but it's just so hard to separate an individual's performance from what's around him it's like impossible like even yeah. watching on film, we can't tell the difference between a quarterback who has an extra point two seconds in the pocket and one that doesn't. And apparently that makes a lot of difference in statistical splits. And we just don't I don't know how you recognize that and how you kind of reconcile it and adjust for it. I, I also think it's hard because quarterback play in general is so good right now mm-hmm. that like like it's so hard to see like the real differences between even you know, let's let's take Matt Jones out of it because I think that the the lack of athleticism is is really the biggest issue that I think we all have yeah. uh, with him. Um, just the way that you know, everyone says, well, it's the way the game is going. It's not really like I don't know if it's necessarily the way that the football game is going where you need athleticism. It's more like the way that you don't have the time. So you better, and Quincy Avery, I heard him say this recently, but it was like, you better be able to do something when it's not right in front of you because you don't get it yet because we haven't developed you enough. So that's why you need the athleticism. So like if I take out Mac Jones and look at, look at those four, it's like, man, what is really, it's tough to find like real differences um, between those four quarterbacks. And like, yeah, I think Trevor Lawrence is QB1, but it's like, man, I, I could there's there's very easy scenarios where Trey Lance is the best of the group or Zach Wilson is the best of the group and a lot of scenarios where Justin Fields is the best of the group. Yeah, and I guess that goes back to like, what are you hoping for if you if you take Mac Jones? Because I know like, if I draft Trey Lance, like I would love the Falcons to do. I know if that if that reaches its potential, that's something that's like burning down the league. Uh, if Trevor Lawrence, like Trevor Lawrence, already has a high floor, 
and a really high ceiling. Like you can see the vision there. See the vision with Fields and Wilson. Like I can see the path for like all four of those guys <laughs> to end up somewhere down the line, like as Pro Bowl quarterbacks. Not saying that they hit it, but like I I see the vision there, and I just I just don't see it for Mac Jones. Like, and I think that that's a problem I have with drafting the first round. You know, if you if you check them round two, I'm fine with that, but. Right, but the betting that this guy's going to be like your savior is just kind of a, a crazy bet to me. Like, what, I, I, what I mean, he kind of tops up. Like, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. If Mac Jones had like an Andy's all in twenty fifteen year where, you know, the offense yeah. is just amazing and he's clicking and he has a super efficient year. But like, I don't think that he can ever be like the engine for that. Like, what happens if you put Kellen Mond at Alabama and you take him away from Jimbo mm-hmm. Fisher and his like? you know, trying to be a, a traditional pro-style offense and put him into Steve Sarkeesian's offense, which is just like, you know, I've said this before, it was like a gimmick offense, right? Like, uh, you can't, that offense is so stupid, man. Like, they're just running these deep over routes off play action every three plays. Like, that doesn't happen anywhere else but, uh, but Alabama. And then, you know, everyone gets open because – uh, the running game is so good that the linebackers are dealing with that, and then you have a speed receiver. Anyway, so if you put Kellen Mond, who has who's just like a better athletic profile than Mac Jones, are you getting that same season? And you might, you honestly might. Like we talk shit about Kellen Mond, he's inconsistent, blah blah blah. But yeah, he's asked to read over the middle of the field the whole season. With you know, I saw them uh, in 2019. I remember. Um, and, and a little bit this year, but they're running that like levels concept that Peyton Manning used to run all the time. It's like, that's not fair to the kid. Like you can't ask him to well, make that read time and time again around linebackers, throwing with touch, throwing with timing, all that stuff, getting through progressions, all that, all that stuff and expect him to be, you know, if I use like PFF lingo, like a, you know, a 90 plus graded player um, like Mac Jones was. So that's why I'm like, I get Mac yeah. Jones because when you look and at the tape, like, you're like, all right, well, he didn't make any mistake. Right. And my thing with Mac Jones, it didn't like, I just watched him for the first time really like yesterday. I watched like three games. And one thing with him that separates him from the other guys, especially like Justin Fields, because I think those are, those two guys are kind of being pit against each other right now. And like when disaster is about to happen with Mac Jones, he doesn't make the play any better. Like, if there's a free rusher up the A-gap, Mac Jones doesn't make the play. Like, he doesn't bail them out. Whereas Justin Fields consistently figured out a way. Like, that Indiana game, it was probably Fields' worst game, like, statistically. But the pressures they were sending at Ohio State, their offensive line was clueless. Like, their center and their right guard, like, had no idea how to pick up the the triple A-gap stuff they were doing. And... Fields threw some interceptions or whatever, but I feel like he bailed them out of those plays more often than he made things worse. With Mac Jones, I see like a Daniel Jones type ability to turn a bad play to a disaster play where he's he's maybe getting strip sacked, just throwing it downfield to no one in particular. I saw like a couple plays. Maybe I just happened to watch the three games where he did that more often, but that's what I see. Yeah, and especially if you're if you're going to put him in right away, that's what's going to happen because it's exactly what we've been saying. It's like he doesn't have the ability to to to, to create, you know, chicken salad out of chicken shit type of situation. So now you're you're playing him, you're throwing him to the deep end. These plays are going to happen, and then it's over for him, right? Like you can't do that stuff and survive in the NFL, and, and they'll let you p- keep playing. Right, exactly. So like then Kirk, it's just over for him. Like Kirk Cousins, I don't know. Like Kirk Cousins is rare. He got the the ability or the leash to be bad for four years and still keep getting chances. I don't know how it happened, but it just kind of happened. Where like in November of his the last year of his rookie contract in Washington, everyone was talking about whether he's going to get benched or not. And then the you like that happen game happens, and then he goes on a big run, and then the rest is history. But if you're Mac Jones, you're not going to get, and you're a first round pick, especially, you don't have like the RG3 thing ahead of you. You're not going to get four years to be bad and figure things out, especially when you're not making those spectacular plays that, like, even like a Sam Darnold is going to make these flashy plays every week where the fans are going to be like, look at this potential. You're not going to get those from Mac Jones, but you're going to get the bad interceptions. You're going to get the bad sack fumbles. You're going to get the bad games. And 
a fan base is just going to give up on him, and that's going to make it so much easier for a front office and a coaching staff to give up on him. So even if he can become Kirk Cousins, I don't think a, a team is going to give him the uh, opportunity to become that. Uh, all right. So I think we've talked enough about Mac Jones. Enough. Uh, <laughs> I, I could do another hour on this, guys. Uh, you do the podcast without me, Ben. Uh, <laughs> let, let's let's switch gears and, and go to Justin Fields. Stephen, you wrote an article that was really good, I must say, about uh, Justin Fields. Was that earlier this week or last week? That was like two was, days ago, right? It was, yeah, Monday. Okay. Uh, do you want to talk about just like what you went through in that piece? And I'm sure that me and Seth both have takes to, to latch onto that. But as the author of that piece, why don't you talk a little bit about, about what was going on in there? And then uh, can you explain which series of tweets you saw that led you to um, – <laughs> Led you to, I forgot who tweeted the same stuff that you ended up writing about. But anyways, go on. <laughs> That's, Seth is mad because I cucked him on this one. <laughs> but I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't know he was going to write about it because he had already written about Fields. But anyway – well, I just want to say, like, me and Steve have a history of cucking each other. Right. Of, like, there's been, like, three or four times on each side where I'll write an article and then Steve will be like, yo, that's literally what I was about to do. <laughs> and then there's, like, what happened this week where uh, Steve will write an article and then I'll have to tell my boss, uh, yeah, listen, I can't write this article anymore because Steve Ruiz from FDW <laughs> cucked me. <laughs> Good Lord, the resentment in that. Yeah, geez, uh, I can actually feel the saltiness. Let's, not, let's actually start off air. So my, my thing was like, it wasn't necessarily about the fact that I think the first read in the progression talk about Justin Fields is wrong. Like, I think there is some merit to it. And I've seen Seth, like, break down clips where Fields did hang on to his first read too long. I would, like, there was one play from the Northwestern game where he did it. And, like, it's not that there's no merit there. It's like, if you look for that on anybody's tape, any of these college quarterbacks or any college quarterback ever, you could find examples of them hanging on their first read too long. You could find them struggling to, to go through progressions or find their check down or whatever gets you excited about college quarterback prospects. But I, when I'm watching Justin Fields, I'm not thinking consistently this is an issue. This is going to make him be bad in the NFL. This, he's never going to be good because of this. And, and it's mostly because I don't think that stuff matters. And we kind of got, got at this with the Kellen Munn stuff. Is like we Seeing a 19-year-old cosplay as a 35-year-old quarterback like doesn't excite me when I'm watching college prospects. I want to see them do stuff that makes me want to take them in the first round. Like, even a guy like Josh Allen was giving you that. Justin Fields definitely gives you that, and he doesn't give you any of the the red flags that Josh Allen did. Like, he's not inaccurate. He's not a total idiot. I don't think he's an idiot at all. I actually think he's he recognizes stuff pretty quickly. So my whole thing was this first read and this progression stuff, it just doesn't matter. Like, who cares if he's not Drew Brees yet? Ohio State wasn't asking him to be Drew Brees. Right. So that's my take. Yeah, look, like I said this too, it's like they're, they're fucking college kids. Like, yeah, no, like I'm sorry. I've coached college quarterbacks for a long time. You want them to go to their first read if it's open. Like this is what you want. This is like, like it, it kills me that we're doing this thing where it's like, yeah, it's fun. Like, like I, I love watching quarterbacks and seeing them go through reads because I understand that, that that is one of the more difficult things to do like in sports. But at the end of the day, if you're, if you are, you know, within the confines of what the play is called, and that means going to your first read and throwing an accurate ball on time to a receiver who is open, then that's fine. Like, we, the problem is, like, we say this about about not going past your first read. That it just doesn't happen as often as we want to believe it does in college football, even in the NFL, and. And B, oh, obviously, we don't also don't have a clue what what it means to be a have a first read or a key read or a progress read. No one knows what the hell it means. But the other thing is, well, what about the quarterbacks who like stick on their first read, but then just throw the ball, you know, to a covered receiver? Like that's a problem too. What about the guys who go past their first read, but they didn't need to go past their first right. read? Like that, those are those are probably bigger problems than the not going past them because the receiver's open. Like the receiver's open, he threw the fucking ball. Sorry, it, it's like kind of like Tua last year. Like there was times when I wish he would have thrown to his first yes. and hung on to it a little longer, but he threw a check down instead. And I'd rather see what Justin Fields did 
And like even the thing with Fields is like even in the example you used, you tweeted out in the Northwestern game, he eventually got to his check down. It was just that he got there late. And he's a 19-year-old. He'll like if he plays for two years, he's going to be hitting that check down on time in two years if he gets the opportunity to play. So I'm not concerned about that. Like it's good that Mac Jones can go from one read to the next and find his check down or whatever, but I mean, what good is that going to do him in year one when he's when he's just getting like free rushers in his grill and having to throw from pockets he's never thrown to and into tight windows he's never had to throw into? Yeah, and uh, you know the, the thing is like we always see this stuff about like black quarterbacks where you know it's can Deshaun Watson pick up on an NFL playbook? Yeah, I think he's kind of figured that out. Uh, and was he as good as he is now coming out of Clemson? No, of course not. But I mean that's kind of what happened but you get reps in the nfl and you get better hopefully uh and you know to think like justin fields like like couldn't just get like significantly better even if you thought that he was you know slow out of his reads or you know just doesn't know how to read a field never seen a playbook doesn't know what a football is like the fact that like you don't think he could get better is just like insane to me he couldn't recognize the freddy right (laughs) yeah (laughs) When you talk about uh, Deshaun Watson, I think it's super interesting because those were the things they put on Watson. And it's the same thing as they're putting on Justin Fields. And, and honestly, to the same degree, Trey Lance. When then, So when you look at Watson and you compare him to the kid who's coming out this year from the exact same <laughs> offense, like, no one says anything. It's just like assume that he's – that Trevor Lawrence is this great, like, you know, reader of, of football and stuff like that. And it's like, no, they played in the same offense and they pretty much had the same production, right? Um, so, like, for some reason, like, again, like, we don't keep that same energy. When we talk about the black quarterbacks, we're not keeping that same energy talking about the white ones as readers of football and being smart and intelligent or being dumb. Like, it just – it's baffling. Well, it's not baffling to me. We all understand why. We all, we understand why. But like, you, know, you can make very valid arguments that Justin Fields is a better reader of the game than Trevor Lawrence. I don't think that's I, I, that's like not even close to that big of a uh, an argument. Um, you can really make that case. You just watch Trevor Lawrence 2019 film. He stuck on it. You talk about a guy who wants who stuck on his first read. There is in a bad way. That's Trevor Lawrence 2019. Yeah, 2020 was really good. Like 2020, he was awesome in 2020. But 2019, that's what he did. Um, so like, but we but we won't talk about that. Like no one wants to talk about that, which is fine. Like whatever, I get it. You, you look at the kid physically, QB one. I don't think it's even close. Um, he's got that twitch. He throws the ball a mile. He's been number one QB for three years. Like you would probably you would be really stupid if you were the Jaguars and you passed on him. Like obviously, you don't want to be that team. But, like, and I've said this to you guys before, the mirage of the the issue with fields and the slowness, whether it's in the reads, A, that has to do with um, the Ohio State offense, as we've talked about before. But then the other side is, like, the slowness in his release and his lack of, like, twitchiness. Yeah. He's so smooth and stuff that he doesn't – and he doesn't have that twitch and, and, and the, the release is a little slower. But, like, that kind of – we. And that's why Zach Wilson is QB2 for a lot of people because they see that quick release in it and it's a mirage. Oh, he's got a strong arm because he has a quick release. No, you think he has a strong arm because the arm is moving fast, just like Trevor Lawrence, who, who does have a strong arm. But like we, we don't think that Fields has a strong arm when he has a fantastically strong arm because it's it's a little slower. Like the arm is moving slower. So it's like it's like an optical illusion. So it's just like everything is against Justin Fields, and that's why, honestly, if he falls to six or eight, that's craziness. It really sounds like the the 2017 pre-draft talk. Mm-hmm. Like no one was questioning Mitch Trubisky, the offense Mitch Trubisky played in, and I don't understand why. When I don't think it was any more sophisticated than even what Clemson runs. And Clemson is like if you put Justin Fields in Clemson's offense, no one is talking about him hanging on his first read too often because I don't think that's like an issue. It's easier. I, I feel like just watching them, I don't know the offense intimately, but I feel like watching it's easier to come off your first read in Clemson's offense than it would be for Ohio State because you are taking an extra beat or two to to not only diagnose the coverage because like looking at their playbook, it seems like 
a lot of the routes the, the receivers are running are his progression is based on finding the free safety first and then going from there. And I think that slows him down a bit more, and maybe that's where people are, are seeing him hold on to the ball an extra beat or two. I think, you know, with Clemson running a lot of routes near the sideline, whether they're outbreaking routes or just, you know, routes that, you know, vertical routes down the sideline compared to Ohio State, which runs a lot more routes over the middle of the field, wide cross, digs and stuff like that. You know, you're, you're, the reads are going to be quicker for the quarterback because there's less, um, man, it, it, there's less uh, people to deal with on defense. If you're throwing a nine route on the, uh, to, you know, to a, you know, a vertical fade route, you're not dealing with a lot of people. You're dealing with the safety. And then you trust that you're going to – the receiver beats the corner. Like you're not reading the corner. You're not reading – you're not going from safety to corner. You're reading the safety, keeping in the middle of the field, and you throw in the nine round, and you're just trusting that you can put the ball in a good spot and your receiver wins. Um, so, yeah, the ball's going to come out really quickly when you have that type of offense. And then when you go to a different type of offense where you've got to read it and you've got to go through, okay, well, it's safety – to Sam, to Mike, or whatever it is. Now, yeah, you, you're going to have to hold on to the ball, and it's going to look a lot different. There's less to consider, basically, is what you're yeah. saying before you throw the ball. And like that's that's always what kills me about. I've seen this a lot with Drew Locke specifically. Like people will point out that he's he's like this is good process where he's like staring, he's holding the free safety and then throwing a, a vertical route downfield. Like if you're not doing that by year two or three in the <laughs> NFL, like why are you like, that's a high school thing. That's a college thing. Like that doesn't impress me much. I don't think that points to good process as a quarterback. Like I feel like every quarterback in the NFL does that. Yeah. And I guess the thing that bothers me the most is like, and I mean, I don't, I do not admit to know, you know, a ton of, you know, knowledge about the interest, intricacies of offense all that time. But the thing is, like, neither does just about anyone who's saying that, you know, Justin Fields can't do X, you know, Deshaun Watson can't do X, any quarterback can't do X. Like, like when, like when I get, like, some random Twitter user tweeting at me that, you know, Justin Fields needs to work on going through his reads. Like, what reads? <laughs> what reads? Like, show me a play. Like, I, I, cause, because I, I don't think that that's, like, a completely baseless – you know, thing to say, but I think that you could also say that about like literally like any quarterback in the league today. Like you could have said that about Tom Brady in the first half of the season with Tampa Bay or something like that. Like it, it just like it's just such a baseless like or not baseless, but I guess you know you can't point to examples because most, like frankly, a lot of people just don't know. So I, that's why I want to see some of that stuff just leave our lexicon of, of draft analysis, but. You know, I think then people would like actually have to study (laughs) what's going on. And nobody wants to do that. I just want to trade, 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 trades and not actually have to learn anything. So that's that's just what frustrates me so much about draft season. It's just like we're just talking about stuff or, you know, the most most people are just talking about stuff that just don't really know much of anything that they're talking about. And it leads to misinformation. It leads to you know, the same, you know, racial tropes coming out every single year where we got to think about if the black quarterback can read the defense. And uh, I'm I'm just waiting for that to happen. The Trey Lance wants more people to start watching them in the next few weeks. It's, it's just every year when we get these black quarterbacks at the top, it's just, you know what the conversation is going to be before it starts. And then people act incredulous about it when you call them out on it. Like, oh, well, actually – you know, I heard XXXX say that, well, okay, we'll come to your own conclusions and study some shit, and then you can talk about it with us. But until then, it's just we're going to keep getting stuck in these cycles over and over and over again. And not only is it frustrating, it's just it's just damn boring. So, you know, we got two months left of draft season. I'm sure we're going to keep seeing this Justin Fields stuff and uh, just going to try not to lose my mind throughout all of it. Uh, do we have anything else we want to say uh, about Justin Fields, Mac Jones, free agents uh, before we hop out of here? Uh, I'll just add my thing on Lamar Jackson because that was another one that we talked the same stuff about. And the thing with Lamar was you you have not seen a quarterback try his damnedest to stick to the progression, stick to what the <laughs> coaches is are telling him to do through his reads and all that stuff more than Lamar Jackson um, you know, at Louisville, and then it's continued through Baltimore. Uh, and then we still get, we still said the same things about him. It's craziness. Yeah. And I mean, Lamar, obviously, like, there are 
deficiencies in this game. But like, I just don't think that being able to read a defense is the one. I mean, the guy for for you know whatever warts he has as a passer, I don't think that like making egregious decisions with the ball is is one of them. I mean, the accuracy, some parts of the field, sure. I'll I'm a huge Lamar fan, but I'll I'll agree with you on that. But it's not like this guy is like consistently just throwing the ball into defensive backs hands and, and stuff like that, which is just lazy. I mean, I don't, I don't think throughout any of his starting seasons at Louisville or Baltimore, he's ever had a season with over 10 interceptions. Actually, no, that the last season at Louisville he did because he threw four interceptions in some bowl game to get them to 10. But like a side guy who gets, who puts the ball in harm's way. So like when we come in, you know, uh, discussions about oh he can't read the defense and that's why he's you know putting the ball in deep in linebackers hands like okay it's just just it's not informed and it's boring and it feels racist and i hope that we can move on from that because racism is not fun seth what you working on plug us away before we get out of here uh well this is a good question uh well I'm, i already started uh we've already started our like college football preview magazine for next it's going to come oh, well, out. Jesus Christ. I already, uh, wrote my, I already wrote mine, so I talked to you on that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> get, a new, get a new bit. Uh, so, like, I'm, I'm, right now I'm watching all, like, basically we're doing 130 teams, so I'm watching 130. Oh, my God. 130 quarterbacks, man. It's a lot. Wow. I just watched the uh, – but you know what? I just watched the kid from Florida who's going to take over from Kyle Trask. I'm surprised we didn't get to Kyle Trask on this one. But uh, <laughs> uh, he's good, man. Emory Jones, I'm into him. So – Dude, That's how I'm working on. Has lost yeah. like all of his drafts team. Like no one cares. <laughs> the Oklahoma game ended him. It was over after that. All the goodwill he built up, throwing to like tremendous targets, just evaporated when he didn't have anybody. Dude, I was I was kind of out after the Georgia game. I'm a Georgia fan. Yeah, there's definitely a little hatership on my part, but Georgia just decided they didn't want to cover a wheel route the entirety of that game, and I was like, this is not real football. Get him out of here. But you know, you was I think you had him as QB one B behind uh, Mac Jones. So <laughs> see how that works out for you, uh, Stephen. What are we working on this week? Uh, That's I, a great I, question. I, I think. Yeah. I was waiting for Seth to give us a good idea, so I don't know. <laughs> Wait. Uh, I asked Steve. Steve, I was like, "Hey, when when this whole cucking business happened earlier this week, I asked Steve. I was like, okay, well now you got to give me an idea.' And he told me to write about the Fox cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. Like you should do it. Like another site did it without mentioning me and try to pretend like it was their own thing. So I don't see why you can't do it. Look, we're all just copying each other until we die. That's a good point. That will conclude episode 73 of The Counter. Uh, Thank you, Seth, for coming on. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore dollar sign (laughs) E-T-H. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, our good pal, Chris Foreman. See ya. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. 